lead. Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism the leader. Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but naturalism wins in a half. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's Easy Performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's easy performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. At the end of March this year, Ashley Morgan was on 89 wins, one ahead of James McDonald on the New South Wales Premiership ladder. He was working hard, he was travelling extensively and he was riding plenty of winners. But not for one moment did he expect to still be on top of the rankings four months later. Suddenly, Ashley had a ray of hope. MacDonald was to go to England to ride Nature Strip and Home Affairs at Royal Ascot, after which he was to take a European holiday with his partner, Caitlin Mallion. Ashley was a man inspired over the last two months of the season. By July 31st, it was Morgan 136, MacDonald 121. The 31-year-old from Cardiff in Wales was champion New South Wales jockey, just four years and a few months after arriving in Australia, unheralded and unsung from the UK, where he'd ridden about 70 winners. At one stage, increasing weight and disillusionment saw him walk away from racing to work in real estate and employment recruitment. He sent an email to a few Aussie trainers. Brett Kavanagh was the only one to reply. Ashley Morgan turned up in the Hunter Valley and the rest is history. Following his premiership success, Ashley returned to the UK with his partner Cara for the christening of their three-year-old daughter, River. He had a few race rides in England and the USA before hurrying back to Australia to chase another premiership. As we speak, Ashley Morgan is having a rare day off. Uh, He's been back only a few weeks and he hasn't stopped. He's been all over the place. Ashley, belated congratulations on that New South Wales premiership win. Amazing. Yeah, thank you, John. Yeah, it was it was a great season. I appreciate it. It was um, obviously we spoke before, and um, it was my goal then, so it was good to get the job done. Well, what a wonderful way to celebrate your premiership win—a return to Cara's homeland for the baptism of your little girl. You went to a place called Wexford in Ireland. I think it's south of Dublin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Wexford. It's, it's the first time I've, I've I've been over there um, to Wexford. Um, it's a lovely spot, and yeah, like you said, it was good to um, have that bit of time off uh, straight after the season finished, just to um, sort of reflect on it. Because you know, you sort of start the season the next day and don't get much of a chance to um, rest in your laurels, you know. But it was nice to to go back and see the family and, and see everyone and and really take it all in. In order to keep your weight in check during your trip away. You contacted an old friend, Newmarket trainer George Bowie, and you offered to ride out for a week, as you say over there. Here we call it track work. Uh, he was happy to have you too. Track work riders are like uh, hen's teeth anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's right. I got back to Wexford and I probably did a couple of weeks and um, I got bored pretty quickly and um, 
I just um, yeah, I sent uh, George's assistant just a message to see if they want anyone to ride out for a little while. Um, you know, it's more beneficial to me just to keep me busy. Um, yeah, and I yeah, I landed there on the Tuesday in in London. Ryan picked me up from the airport, and um, yeah, I think my first morning George put me on three at Wolverhampton on the Saturday, so uh, I wasn't um, looking to ride race ride while I was over there, yeah. but. Um, I thought it'd be be good good fun to you know go and have a spin around all the few of the old tracks. So he gave you three race rides at Wolverhampton only a few days after your arrival. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So my first day uh, first day was on the Tuesday. Um, did three lots for him, and I went in the office just to have a chat with him. And he said, oh, "Do you want to ride a few for us on Saturday?" And uh, I said, "Yeah, I'll have to borrow some gear because I didn't bring any of my stuff with me." But uh, yeah, yeah. No, we got through that, and yeah, had a few rides around there. And Ashley had word of your wonderful win in the New South Wales Premiership reached George's ears by this? Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Um, George and a lot of other people in Newmarket, obviously, that I knew from before, um, um, were all congratulating me, um, you know, jockeys and trainers that, that, that I obviously knew from before. Um, you know, they've been keeping an eye on me since, mm-hmm. since I left England, um, which was good. You know, I was pretty... Um, I never sort of really fulfilled uh, my potential, I don't think, in England. So it's nice to, that people saw that I um, that I, I was managed to do that in New South Wales, you know. And, and while I was there, I just wanted to ride for George. Really, it wasn't there, um, you know, to do too much. But you know, a few people offered me rides that I rode for before, and you know, I, I said I was just keen to just ride for George at the time I was there. Yeah, before coming to Australia, you'd ridden a massive amount of track work at the famous Santa Anita track in California. Now, you left Cara to spend time with her family and you flew to Los Angeles to renew some old acquaintances and once again, they said, here comes a track work rider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's right. Look, I, I obviously I'd had a, a long break from riding. Uh, I had the two years off and I went to Santa Anita to ride track work four years ago and um, I felt like I benefited a lot from it. I learned a lot and I thought it really brought me on as a rider going there. So, I thought it was a good chance to, while I was over that side of the world, to to go again and um, you know just try and sort of find the skills a little bit more um, while I was there. And um, I I did I planned to go over there to, to have a few race rides as well, you know. And and um, yeah, I was lucky enough to George um, Papa Padromo, who um, is you know, really successful stable in Centre and now um, gave me a few rides while I was over there, which was was great um, to ride at Centre and it was a, it's a track I've always wanted to ride at and it was it was amazing to mm. to get a race round ride ride round there. Mm, and you told me you went around with some very famous American jockeys, including the legendary Mike Smith. Yeah, that's right. Look, I, I knew Mike from before when I was over there. Um, I used to go running up the mountains in Sierra Madre with him, and he um, yeah, he's a great bloke, and you know, I sort of caught up with him there while I was riding, and mm. you know, he was. Um, Asking how I was getting on, and yeah, he's a he's a great bloke to talk to, and um, he's very helpful in anything you need of him. Mm. I notice you're using that popular Aussie word, bloke. You've picked that <laughs> yeah. one up. Yeah, now I've got a few more lingo I've picked up since I've been here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to your childhood, Ashley, in your native Wales. You learned to ride on hunters and point-to-point horses, which were owned by your late grandfather Gareth. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, my, my my granddad he was a he was a huntsman since since I think the age of fourteen. He hunted Caerphilly hunt and Penturk hunt, and um, so we always had um, hunt horses and, and point pointers around from when I when I was a child, you know. So mm. um, yeah, I'd always been around them, and he he sort of taught me to ride on the ponies. And then by the time I got to twelve or thirteen, I was riding riding the pointers then, and you know, getting training them and. Um, Riding work also for for Peter Bone who who trains in Wales, but mm. um, yeah, my love for sort of horses come from the hunting field really. You know, um, used to love going out hunting and riding and jumping anything, and yeah, you know, that that was um, sort of what got my love for for riding. Mm. Early days, if anything, you were probably thinking about a career riding over the jumps. Yeah, definitely, I definitely was. Um, I never. I never imagined sort of riding on the flat when I was a child. Anyone asked me what I want to do is I wanted to be a jump jockey. Um, you know, my favourite jockeys were, were jump jockeys and I, you know, I love Cheltenham and, and Aintree and all them big meetings. Uh, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I never imagined sort of riding on the flat and I thought if I did ride on the flat, it'd only be for a couple of years before 
it's my weight sort of got hold of me or or you know um it was never i never thought it was gonna be a long lasting thing for sure mm. you did some work experience with philip hobbs at a place called somerset in england and then you became apprentice to mark tompkins at newmarket and you spent five years with mark yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Well, Philip Hobbs was actually the the train that steered me onto the flat because um, I think I was 15 when I was riding work for him and I, he asked me what weight I was and I hadn't stepped on the scales. I said, oh, I'm probably about 10 stone. Um, and I got on and I was uh, seven stone three. Jeez. So I was um, a lot lighter than what I thought it was. And he said, you know, you can come back here and uh, you know, and ride out for us, um, yeah, but you're probably worth giving the, the, the flat a crack and um, – he sort of suggested a few people for me to to contact while I was at Newmarket, and um, Mark Tompkins had just had Salim Golan, who was champion apprentice that year, um, and uh, he seemed like a good good sort of base for me to start off. Mm. Mark supplied your very first winner, a horse called Sumner, at Pontefract in Yorkshire, a magic moment for any apprentice. Yeah, no, it, it was a great day. Like I remember, like it was yesterday. Um, I got up the horse on on the, the week before he ran, and um, I, I can't remember what he's rated, but I remember he's pretty well in at the weights after having a few um, maiden runs, and he went to his handicap run, and uh, he was pretty much a steering job. Um, I gave him a good pat after the line, and he took off me down the hill at Pontefract. But <laughs> it was good. It was a great day. Yeah. Yeah. You later transferred your indentures to a multiple Group One winning trainer, Ed Dunlop who's well-known in Australia, of course, as the trainer of that wonderful old horse, Red Cadeau, who was placed in three Melbourne Cups. You had two years with Ed Dunlop, but it was a bit slow, wasn't it? Things were not happening as you'd hoped. Yeah, that's right. Ed, Ed was a, it was a great time for me to be there because he had Red Cadeau and Snow Fairy as well, um, you know, two, two quality horses. And it was the first time I'd really sat on, on, on proper stakes horses at, at track work and um you know I was riding work with you know like Ryan Moore and Paul Hannigan, um mm. Frankie Tory used to come in. So I was I was around good riders at that time at, at track work, you know, um but at Ed, Ed Stable that were majority owned majority owned by Shadwell, um uh late Sheikh Hamdam Al McToom and mm. so there wasn't really a lot of rides for an apprentice. I think I only had twelve rides for him that year um from his day when I rode a winner for Sheikh Hamdan. But um, it wasn't really a place for apprentice, although I, saw, I, I learned a lot there. Mm. It was great to sit on a proper quality of horse. Um, f- as far as race rides go, it wasn't the place to be, you know. Mm. Well, you were somewhere around the 70 winner mark at that point in time. You'd ridden winners at Newmarket and Royal Ascot, and you made a lightning trip to France on one occasion for a trainer called Paul Cull. I know you were tickled pink about this. You rode a winner at a place with an exotic name, La Croix La Roche. Yeah, that's, that's, I, uh, I had a lot of luck for Paul. Um, he was very good to me from my seven-pound claim days all the way through. Um, and he had a, a real niche for finding the right horse to take over to France and, and, and win these races um, and they sort of be sold over there while they were there and, you know, they sort of carried their careers there. But yeah, he offered me the chance to go to, to uh, La Coile Roche and um, I actually had two rides in a day. One was for a, for a French trainer. I actually thought I had the one ride and someone said, oh, you, when I got to France, he said, you've got another ride, so you better get there earlier. Um, I didn't know about it, but um, mm. it ran okay. But no, a horse, uh, Joy to the World for um, Paul Cole. Yeah, she won pretty easy. She led and, and didn't see another horse. But um, yeah, that was my first um sort of taste of international racing, you know, it was it was great to go over and, mm. and experience that. Well, you walked away from racing eventually and you got a job at a London real estate office. What sort of a salesman was Ashley Morgan? I I, I wasn't I, I overachieved. I overachieved really. I was sort of um I enjoyed it. I I did enjoy it. It um it took me out of my comfort zone and it was something uh, completely alien to what I'd obviously done before. Mm. Um, you know, I'd left school early and I hadn't been in that environment for for a long time. But um, no, it was good. Yeah, I was on the phone every day, constantly, and, and meeting and greeting people, and mm. and you know, negotiating and all that. He said it was something completely different. But mm. um, what I lacked in my riding career prior to that was was my communication skills and and, and probably being 
you know, a people person. So it really helped me um, bring out that side of me. So it was, you know, even though it wasn't planned and you know, all I wanted to do was be a jockey, it, it it benefited me more than anything I'd probably done previously. Mm. What were you selling? Houses, property, apartments? Uh, yeah, a bit of, bit of everything, a bit of everything. Um, houses, apartments, a um, few um, sort of, not farms, but rural properties. Um, it was good. You know, I've always sort of been interested in, in houses and, you know, I wanted to, um, you know, know a bit about a bit about it, you know, for later later in life, you know, I could afford to buy a few houses. But, um, no, it was it was good. I, I did enjoy it. Um, I worked with a great team there and um, I think, um, you know, they, they obviously liked the fact that I was a jockey beforehand and it was different. I don't think anyone ever walked into their office before that was a jockey. So, it probably helped me out in the interview. So you're looking ahead, Ashley, you've got that experience under the belt. When your riding days are over, uh, it's something you could always go back to. Yeah, yeah, it could be something I go back to. I don't think I do it professionally. I think I'm always going to be involved in horses in some way. Mm. Um, Cara's father, he pinhooks um, jump horses, jump race horses in Ireland. And, um, you know, obviously when I was over there just now, um, you see a little bit how they, how they do things. And I'd say, um, you know, when I finish riding, that'd be something I'd look to get into is that, you know, it's a, it's a nice way of life being around horses again, you know, later on in life. Yeah. You later tried your hand in the field of employment recruitment. Few jockeys have had a more diversified background than you've had. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The recruitment was uh, was was a yeah, it was a different one. Uh, I was actually recruiting for um for, for IT and technology, um, sending people to Germany in Berlin, and mm. um, I obviously I, I can't speak a word of German, um, so it, it was a little bit tricky at the start. But you know, I, I I did well. I did well on that actually, considering how you know little experience I had in in your know, language and um, mm. in the IT field, but. It's sort of one of the things you just sort of, if you work hard at it and, and put the hours in, you'll get the results out of that, you know. Mm. After 14 months in London, you found yourself missing horses. The thought of a return to race riding crept into your mind. So you just jumped on the scales one day to check out the weight and you were devastated when the needle stopped on 68 kilos. You went home to Wales where you began a rigid exercise regime. Yeah, that's right. I had, um, I got on the scales. I, I remember watching racing and just getting the getting the bug back for it. And um, it was I was sort of missing that um, you know the competitiveness of, of racing more than anything. You know, um, mm. just having that. And um, yeah, I decided. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll see what weight. And went and bought some scales from Weight Watchers. Uh, and uh, I got on, I was 68. I think 68 was a good day. I think I would have maxed 70 at one point. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was heavy enough. And uh, But, no, I just, I, I didn't have any, any plan at that time. I just I just went in and I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need to um, fully commit to it. So I didn't have, so I didn't have a back, I have a plan of any, any sort at that stage. And I just went in and handed my notice in and said, um, I'm going to go back riding and, well, attempt to go back riding. And, yeah, yeah. I went back to Wales, yeah. Yeah, didn't you do a lot of running at that time? Yeah, I did. I did a lot, um, and at that time as well, it, we had the. Uh, it was called the Beast from the East. It was a really uh, cold. We had blizzards and snowstorms for about a month, <laughs> month and a half straight in the UK, and I was out running every day in it um, up the hills in Wales. So I thought, um, if I can get through this, this will be, this will be the hardest part: is getting the weight off. And mm. uh, it's funny, my granddad used to follow me in the truck because I got knocked over in the snow. <laughs> Over, <laughs> used to follow me in the truck behind me, um, make yeah. sure I got from A to B safe enough. Um, mm. So that was good. He was he was a big support. He was sort of the main main support that I had at that time. Was you know, he always wanted me to be a jockey, and um, you know he really gave me the motivation to to go through that. That was probably the hardest period of time was you know getting from from that weight down, and mm. and at that, still at that time I didn't have a plan yet, so I was sort of going blind into the future. Um, yeah. You know. Mm. You had a good friend called Simon Pierce at that time who was a track work rider at Santa Anita. He got you a job there and off you went to sunny California. Can you recall your weight when you arrived at Santa Anita? 
I, I think yeah, I think at the time I was sixty one when I got to Santa Anita. Um, mm. I, I spoke to Simon and said I was thinking about coming back riding, and at this time I hadn't told many people. And and Simon said, well, I'm actually going to to California. Um, it'd be cool. I hadn't seen him in a while. He said, it'd be cool if we could catch up over there and we'll get your job sorted. And mm. um, you know, luckily him and um, uh, uh, man called Dave Meir, who's in Bloodstock over his wife trains now in Kentucky. Mm. Uh, he got me a job with uh, Pete Erton. Um, yeah, so I spent three months while I was there. Um, but yeah, 61 when I arrived, um, and I hadn't sat on a horse in, in two years, mm. um, any type of horse. So my first day I rode nine horses, and I was um, I was pretty beat up by the end of the morning. <laughs> I bet you were. And you rode work in a sweatsuit most days, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. I, I, I just... I hadn't really got my nutrition down at the time. Like I can't cook, so I was um, getting to track with, with uh, yeah, big jackets on, and you know, it's this would have been in February, late February in, in California, which is it's still fairly warm. It's pretty warm there, so everyone's pretty much lightly dressed while they're riding work, and I was rugged up like it was the middle of winter in England. Um, but you know, the weight started coming off quick, and I I did a lot of running up mountains and. Um, but yeah, to be honest, it was still a long way from where I wanted to be with the weight. You know, it was like, I probably got down to about 58, 57 while I was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You sat down in front of the computer one day and you whipped off 12 emails to Australian trainers. You got two replies. One of them was, thanks for your email, but we can't help you. And the other one was from Brett Kavanagh at Scone. What did he say in his reply? Yeah, well, he his, his first reply was um, he sent me his number and just said, call me. Typical Brett, just um, straight to the point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I called him and he said, um, he said, can you ride? And I said, yeah, I can. He said, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get someone to pick you for, up from the airport, book a flight and come over. Mm. Um, so it, that it was good. And, that, you know, what, the way I worded the email was that I wanted to be race riding, you know, I wanted to. And I think a few people, you know, maybe they're just looking for track work riders. And I, I thought, well, if I'm going to go over, I need to set my stall out straight away and say what I want. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, luckily, yeah, Brett got back to me. I, mm. I didn't really know um, a whole lot about Brett, but I, when I was going through the the um, trainers' contact, I was going through the premierships, and I think Brett was his first year in Scone, and he'd had a he'd had a big season, so he was mm. high up in the premiership, and um, he seemed to have a lot of runners. So that you know, that was the main thing for me was getting to somebody that. Mm. ran the horse a lot, so there was a lot of opportunity for me. Mm. Can you remember your reaction, your feeling, your first impressions of Scone, beautiful Hunter Valley town, so well known as the home of the horse? Yeah, well, while I was in America, uh, one of the TV presenters, she's Australian, and she said to me Scone was an hour away from Sydney. So when, (laughs) when Steph picked me up from the airport, and I think we got to Mosselbrook. We'd nearly done three hours. I was wasn't <laughs> sure what was going on, um, and obviously it was getting more rural as we went along. Um, so yeah, look, I, you know, I, I grew up in the country, and, and so it wasn't too too bad for me. Scone's a quiet place, but it, it's um, there's a lot of good people there. There, and um, I enjoyed my time there. Mm. It, it was nice to it was a, it's a nice environment, Scone, and it's all about the racehorse as well, you know. And mm. I think for me at that time it was. I just needed to really focus on on racing and, and horses, you know. So um, it was a it was a it was a perfect place for me to to go to and start. You started riding work at Scone in May of two thousand and eighteen. You tell me local trainers were slow to respond. They wanted to have a look at this taffy who drifted into town. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I I met. I actually went to Scone sales um and i met a few people there jeremy guest was there who who was who would um obviously trained in england and i met rod northam and stephen jones and um you know i just uh asked if they needed any help any help in the mornings and you know, they said oh yeah we'll just you know come give us a shout when uh when you're around and stuff so i i wrote majority of my work for for brett uh i went to jeremy's after I finished at Brett's and I could sometimes got one in for Stephen before before I went into Brett. So mm. yeah, no, they 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 threw me on a few in the morning, which is good. I was around, you know, meeting the trainers and obviously they didn't didn't have a clue clue who I was, you know. No, no. 
Well, just pause for a moment, Ashley, if I could get you to stand by to clear a commitment. When we come back, we're going to talk about the disaster that was your very first ride in a race in Australia. Back with Ashley Morgan after this. The 2022 Spring Festival of Racing moves to the South Coast on Saturday, November the 19th for the fourth running of The Gong, over 1,600 metres on the spacious stretches of Kembla Grange. The Wallace Stable won the inaugural Gong in 2019 with Mr Seawolf, ridden by James MacDonald. The 2020 edition was a cracker, with Arcademus scoring gamely for Team Hawks and Jay Ford. Dawn Passage was second, and the emerging elite performer, Think It Over, ran third. Last year, the locals cheered themselves hoarse when the ill-fated counter rupee scored brilliantly for Robin Luke Price and Brock Ryan. The hugely talented counter rupee sadly passed away after suffering a heart attack during a jump out at Kembla in August. Kembla Grange has been dealt a hammering by the rain all year and deserves a change of fortune for the big race on November the 19th. The gong will be supported by the Warra, a $300,000 sprint over 1,000 metres inaugurated last year and won by Greg Hickman's 1111, written by Tyler Schiller. The gong, Kembla Grange, November the 19th. Now, you've mentioned Stephen Jones. He was the trainer to give you your first race ride in this country. It was at Coona Barabran. And you told me the other day you got absolutely lost. What happened? <laughs> yeah, well, I, um, yeah, Stephen, gave, he gave me my first ride and um, he said to me, oh, it'll win. <laughs> he, he told me it'll win. Mm. Um, and it was 900 metres at Coonabarab and, and like I've ridden in, um, you know, stakes races in England over five furlongs, six furlongs and big handicaps there where you, they really run along and I, I don't think I've ever been so fast. Um, early in a race than I did at that 900 running down the hill at Coonabarab and then I was back and about five wide and I think I got beat about 20 lengths so <laughs> Steve had told me this horse was going to win and I, yeah. I've got lost on it and it's got beaten a mile um, mm. so yeah that was a, a tricky start tricky yeah. start for sure so it wasn't a pretty ride no nah, it wasn't a pretty ride at all no no, <laughs> no. and I I hadn't ridden in a race saddle in so long and I I pull my hands up i think i was on the eighth hole from the bottom mm. i was riding way too short uh <laughs> i was riding way too short and yeah it was yeah it was a bit of a disaster but uh, yeah, mm. i thought well it couldn't it couldn't get any worse from there well it certainly didn't it got better and better and better you quickly learned that you've got to stay in touch with the field in australia who would have thought that your first aussie win would be around a funny little track with three turns at gilgandra in a race over 800 metres. Trainer was Brian Dixon. Horse was called Hidden Chief. Yeah, Hidden Chief, he, um, I I couldn't do any form on him because all his runs had been on tabs and I think he was $81. Um, I had three rides that day and two of them were scratched, so he was my only ride of the day and it was a half mile at Gilgandra. Uh, obviously, I'd never ridden in a race that short before. Um and the fact there was three bends in it and running going half a mile was, was crazy. But mm. um, yeah, he was a bit of a tricky horse. He used to play up in the barriers and he actually missed a kick. And um, I was last. I would have nearly been last for the turning in. And the, the straight's probably only about 200 metres. Um, yeah, he came from last and just, just nabbed him on the line. Um, yeah, it was. I, I can't really say I did too much. To be honest, I just sort of pointed no. him in the right direction. But uh, yeah, it was good. It was great to get the the monkey off the back, you know, even if it was just a small oh, good meeting, you know, it was good to get get the first one on board. You, yeah. You thought you were Lester Piggott. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know about that. It probably wasn't the greatest arise, but <laughs> it got the job done. Twenty ninth of January two thousand and nineteen will always be one of the most important days in your scrapbook. The meeting was at Musselbrook and you rode your first ever treble not your first australian treble your first ever and there's no doubt that was the day you arrived in australian racing yeah definitely definitely i think for me i always look back on that day as as the point that it turned for me you know i sort of only ridden maybe 12 winners from the start of the season until then 
Um, but I, uh, luckily enough, I um, I was at the trials early one day, and I think someone um, from Paul Massara's, they didn't turn up to trial the horses, so um, I'd written a few bits of work for him, and he said, oh, do you want to jump on my trialers? So, um, yeah, after that, he gave me a few rides that day at Musselbrook, and mm. um, I rode two winners for him, um, Emanuela. She obviously ended up being um, a handy horse, and um, Arta Fiore, who was out of Hortensia, um, mm. she won a second. 50 maiden which um probably wasn't bred to do but um you know it was good i had them two in a support and and, and jay hopkins who had, who had ridden a double for um a couple of weeks before um on a horse called drusilla but yeah definitely that was the day that that i think um got people notes and then i feel like after that yeah. i really got on a run you know and i was riding for a lot more um you know different trainers bigger trainers um mm. you know you know thankfully for paul that day put me on and he's been a really good support to me the, the whole time I've been here. Yeah. There's one bush trainer uh, for whom you have great gratitude, and that's Brett Thompson, who is the only trainer who operates from the Gulgong racecourse. He's got a pretty big team, and he has a lot of runners, and he put you on everything for a while, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Brett, Brett was great um, when I first came over. He, he gave me a ride on my first day um riding and it ran okay and yeah after that he kept putting me on and like in reality i didn't have a lot of luck for him really i think i had one winner from about 30 odd rides to, to begin with um mm. but he kept putting me on and then we started having you know a real good bit of luck with, with each other i think he was the trainer I've been most winners for up until last year i think um you know i had a lot of luck for brett mm. um but you know it was good for someone to have uh that sort of that faith in me early just to throw me on you're pretty much the whole stable, um, or a majority of them. Greg was riding a lot of them at the time as well. But uh, mm. you know, it was so, so. I needed that sort of platform or a base of a trainer to to throw me on consistently. You know, um, yeah. so yeah, that that was great. And I've you know, obviously I've been plenty of winners for Brett since. But yeah, he he was really the first person to really get behind me. You know, mm. and he always he always reminds me of that. But I, I tell him I never forget it. <laughs> no, that's good. You know, following that Musselbrook treble. You went into overdrive. Uh, you really got moving, riding a heap of track work. You were doing a lot of travelling. You had a fervent desire to get better. In your first Aussie season, you rode 45 winners statewide. Second season, 57.5. Third season, 82.5. And your fourth full season won you a premiership. 136 winners long way from the real estate office in london yeah i no, definitely definitely look it was um yeah no, it, it, like i said that muscle day really turned turned it around for me but also you know it, another motivation was you know i had my daughter um you know in september of that year as well so like when she came along it really sort of motivated me to do well and um you know i sort of had another reason not just for myself to to succeed, you know, and um, mm. yeah, that was probably just motivationally speaking, that was the really thing that got me working hard than I ever had, you know, was I wanted to do well and, and provide for my family at the time, you know. Mm. At the beginning of last season, your target was 100 winners. You were thinking to yourself, cross, if I can crack 100, I'll be absolutely delighted. I don't think the premiership was even in your mind at that time. No, definitely, definitely not. No, I, you know, I got to, I got to eighty three the year before, and I thought oh, I had a couple of ordinary months, and I thought if I can knock them out of the way and and have be consistent twelve months round, you know, and I'm going to break hundred, that that's definitely manageable. And um, I spoke to a manager, Drew Smith, at the start of the season, and I said, you know, I want to ride hundred winners. That's that's the plan, and I probably put a bit of pressure on myself because the first two weeks of the season I didn't ride a winner. I got around about. <laughs> eight or nine seconds the first week mm. um but um you know it it, it was good it, it backed off a good graft and carnival which helped me have a bit of momentum you know even though i was riding winners the first couple of weeks of the season it was i was getting plenty of rides and you know it really kicked into overdrive sort of the second month of the season we were, we were away and running then you know oh, yeah. um, but a hundred that was the target you know i sort of thought if i can if i can aim for 10 months i'm going to break it easily if i have a bad month you know, I can make it for the next. And I was just sort of, I was only going month to month, 
it was all just based around calculating and how many rides I had to have to, to ride 100 winners, you know? Mm -hmm. And you actually said to Drew, McDonald's going away, let's have a crack at this, and, and Drew was never off the phone, was he? No, that's right. You know, he, he did an unbelievable job last season. You know, I think we got to January um, and where we were was where we were. I had rode 14 winners in January, 14 winners in February, and then obviously it was James was going to go to Ascot um, for the month and then obviously have his holiday. And I thought, you know, we can really have a good crack at this. And I said, you know, if we're in touch in the last two months of the season. We've just got to go everywhere. Mm. Um, and, you know, I thought if I could be within 10 of James by the time he left, like I could do it. Mm. Um, and we were both on 118 when he left. So we were level when he left. So I thought, well, it, <laughs> only only I can mess it up from now on, now in, you know. <laughs> well, you didn't mess it up. You won the title. Former jockeys like Robert Thompson and Greg Ryan were jockeys who relinquished opportunities in the city many, many times to remain loyal uh, to country clients. And you've been doing exactly the same thing. From a very small number of city rides, you've ridden only one winner in town. And I think it was Kristen Buchanan's horse, wasn't it? Pandora Blue in a midway at Randwick. Uh, it was a big thrill for you, but you had to keep everything in perspective. Yeah, that's right. I wrote, I'd actually been in Randwick um, the fortnight before and I I just got beat on two of Paul Perry's, um, ran second on them both. I, had, I think I had eight rides that day and mm. ran second twice. And it was it was as low as I'd ever come up the race course. You know, I thought <laughs> I never want to come out uh, as down as I was that day. You know, it was, it, it was sort of I was um, another time, you know, I think it was just wanting to get the monkey on my back, ride the first winner in town. I'd, I'd ridden a lot of winners, obviously, everywhere at Trenchels and the Bush. Mm. But it was something I really wanted to do and, and get it out of the way. I thought once I get the first one out of the way, I can just relax a little bit then. Um, so yeah, I was obviously I went went to town. I had six rides that day, um, and it was great because Cara and that River they came with me because I had a feeling I could ride a winner that day, and um, yeah, I thought it'd be really nice if they were there while I did it, you know. And it, it, for them to be there when I rode my first winner there at Randwick, it was um, yeah, it was a, it was a great buzz. You've collected a nice little swag of country features in four years, and one of them was the 2020 Musselbrook Cup on a $51 pop called Petrology for Nathan Doyle. The old horse came from a mile back and he won like a $2 pop. Yeah, he uh, he bolted and it was, it was actually funny. I, I stayed with Nathan when he just got Petrology. Um, I stayed at his house in Stone when he was training there and he said, oh, we'll get this horse tomorrow. He, he's won a group two and he's placing a group one and... Um, I actually galloped him and he went horrific. And uh, I was like, oh, right, well, yeah, good luck with this lad. Um, he was obviously getting on at that time and his, his work was terrible. But he, Nathan done a great job with him and he, he got him back and got him feeling well and, and well in himself. Um, and his plan was always the Musselbrook Cup. So even though he's a big price that day, his two lead-up runs to it were were really good. And I think John Overmere rode him in um, in town the start before and he was really wrapped with his run and... Um, yeah, even though he's a big price, we, we went there and, and were pretty confident. And I just rode him cold and I'd ridden him a lot of works and trialled him. So I knew the horse really well. Um, mm. I just rode him cold and and, and he, he let ripple at the top of the straight. Yeah, we I think we were last on straight and then we won by four lengths in the oh, end. Oh, it was a big win. Massive win, yeah, yeah. You won a South Grafton Cup on Texas Storm. You won Dubbo and Canamble Cups on Peter Sinclair's uh, Aesop's Fable. You won a Walker Cup on Valley's Sister. You won a Cessnock Cup on Unwavering Faith. Ashley, isn't it great to see the smiles on the faces of bush owners and trainers when they win these races in their own region? means a lot to them. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. It's, um, you know, they, they, they're good races, you know. Um, yeah, there's good prize money on offer. Um yeah, one one that was a great one was Aesop's Fable. Uh, um, you know, Dubbo and Canamble. Um, Dominic Neat, his him and his family are from from those areas, and the Canamble Dubbo Cup and Kuna Barrington Cups were cups you really wanted to win, and we were able to get two out of the three. Um, mm. yes, yeah, so that was that was great. You know, and, and Pete's a great bloke as well, and he, he had a he had a right for for both days. You know, and um, yeah, that that was great. That was that was a great 
couple of wins there, and she 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 did great. She was a cool horse to ride, and um, it was nice to win them two races on her. We mentioned in the intro that your partner Cara is a native of Ireland, and she was already in Australia when you two met. She was in fact working for the Sledmere Stud, so she knew what a racehorse looked like. Yeah, that's right. You know, no, Cara, she she knows her horses, and um, she's obviously grown up here in a family. At, you know, um, really successful family there in Wexford. Um, sold a lot of good horses out of there, um, Ratzert and Stud. Um, so yeah, no, she was she was working the Sledmere across the road from Cavs from the racetrack, and used to ride a couple of um, lots before she went in. And you know, that's how I met her. Um, I always think it's funny. I come to Australia and I met someone that lives an hour, two yeah. hour boat ride away from me. You know, yeah, so, amazing. Yeah, no, you know, she she's been a massive help to me. Um, in my career, you know, she, they're, they're at home at the minute. They're coming over on the back on the 16th of November, and mm. um, it's definitely a big difference while they're away. Um, you know, she she helped massively last season. You know, my, my job is only to get in the car and go to the races. You know, I was lucky; I had the right food when I got in the house. You know, I was mm. everything was prepared for me. So the only thing I had to focus on was getting up, go to the races, and, and doing my job, which um, takes all the other stress of life out of the way. You know, so that yeah. yeah a massive thing to have. So you admit to being completely spoiled? <laughs> completely spoiled, yeah. I've been spoiled my whole life, so <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, no, I am definitely spoiled. Um, yeah, I'm well looked after, but, you know, to, to be able to do what you do, you need to have a good team around you. And, um, you know, I'm lucky I have that. Your little girl, River, might have an Irish mum and a Welsh dad but they'll never be able to take her Aussie heritage away. She is a dinky die. Yeah, that's right. She's um, she Her accent's a little bit funny at the minute because she spent three months in Ireland, so she's got a, a Irish Aussie twang on her at the minute. She just <laughs> sounds a bit all over the place at the minute. But, uh, <laughs> no, she, she she's obsessed with horses as well. She got her, her first little pony the other day. Um, she's never off the back of them. You know, she always wants to ride them. Oh, the races she's always wanted to get on him in the mountain yard and she kicks a tantrum if she can't get on him so <laughs> yeah she loves the horse <laughs> get on you the ravages of covid have caused you a lot of grief in the last few years in the time you've been in australia you've lost a grandmother a grandfather and your own mum and the ban on travel prevented your attending all three funerals that was tough going for you. Yeah, no, that 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 was that was very tough. Um, you know, uh, I'm very close. I was very close to my mum and my grandparents. I lived with them my whole life growing up. You know, we we all lived together in the same house. So, um, you know, like I was I was very close to them, and I, I spoke to my mum every day. Um, um, I spoke to my granddad a lot after races. He'd get up in the morning and watch the races, and. Mm. Um, you know, my, my my grandmother was ill for a while when she died. You know, that was that was terrible. It's just before um, River was born, so it was a it was a tough period of time. But um, yeah, my my mum died and uh, my granddad died. And my mum died about ten days later. So oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that was tough. And and obviously with the restrictions, I I wasn't able to get back. And um, yeah, no, that was hard. It was hard. You know, you know, so I had to watch the funeral on a live stream on on my phone. You know, it was just oh, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't like it, it actually happened, you know. It wasn't. It nearly wasn't until I got back this time round and and went and saw my family in Wales that it sort of hit home, you know. I I I wanted to keep busy riding. Um, didn't sort of want to yeah. focus too much on it, you know. I just wanted to keep uh, my mind off it in a, in, a, in a way, you know, um, for for me to deal with it. But yeah, it was very tough, you know. Like, even now, like on the way back from the races, um, you know, uh, I sort of expect to call my mum or a phone call off them, you know, to speak to them. And, you know, that, that's, right. that's, been, that's been the hardest bit, you know. Yeah, oh, it's very, very sad. And you mm. kept busy, all right. You had a total last season of 1,041 race rides, 136 wins, 248 placings. Now, most of those rides were on outside tracks, so you didn't get to ride any champions. But there were two horses who impressed you a lot and their subsequent form backs up your opinion. Norwegian Bliss is one of them. Her win at Randwick on Melbourne Cup Day took her to seven from seven. She's very promising, isn't she? Yeah, no, she, she's she's very good. And, 
you know, she she just finds a way to win. You know, probably her last three runs have been sort of unfavourable to her with the trip and everything like that. But she just sort of knows where the line is. She looked in trouble at the top of the straight at, at um, Randwick there, but she she found a way to get it done. It was you know it was good for Dill to win on her as well. Um, mm. When I was riding her, I was riding her in a Port Maiden and a, a Newcastle Class One, so that she was pretty much a steering job, um, especially mm. in the Newcastle run, you know. Mm. Um, but she's always shown a lot. I rode her uh, track work early on, you know, um, and yeah, she's always shown a lot. So you know, Nathan's done a great job of placing her and finding the right races, and hopefully she, she can live up to her potential and, and knock off a stakes win, um, probably next preparation. Yeah, mm, let's hope so. Well, you're now living in Newcastle. And you ride work for several local trainers. Nathan Doyle is one, Sam Kavanagh, Jason Deemer, Mark Minavini. Uh, it's a beehive of activity, isn't it, at track work uh, in the mornings at Newcastle? Yeah, it, Newcastle is very busy now. There's a lot of horses trained out there. You know, Obviously, Chris Lees and, and Paul Perry have always had the majority of the horses there. But, you know, like trainers like Nathan now and, and Sam... Jason, Mark, they're all sort of building up a good team now. So, you know, it's not sort of a, just a one stable training base now. You know, them guys are coming up and doing really well and buying the right type of horse. So um can be a little bit tricky track work when you're walking down the tie-ups all trying to grab all the to get you to jump on once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I try and fit as many as I can in. Um, so it's good. They're all, they're all they all throw me on, you know, Sam's been great since he's come back training. Um, mm. I've written a few nice sources for him. Um, and obviously Nathan's always been good to me. So, mm. uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a very productive place in Newcastle. You know, if you go in and write work, you'll get the rise out of there, which is, mm. you know, what you want if you're putting the work in. You tell me you turn up at Warwick farm from time to time, specifically to ride some work for Matthew Smith as a thank you for the support he gives you in your region. I think you try to fit it in if you've got to go to Kembla Grange on occasions. Yeah, whenever I'm down that area, I always just um, give him a call and, um, you know, I say I'll come in and um, I try and get a few in for him and Bjorn. They've both been good to me. Um, but, you know, Matt's, Matt's really good. He he always sort of throws me on horses on the Saturdays at the Provincials and, you know, also whenever he brings back the bush, he, he puts me on. So he, he, he's been a big support of mine and it's... Feel like sort of going into that area is now the next stepping stone for me. So I, I'm trying to make a little bit more a thing of it now, going that way to ride work in the mornings um, mm. this season round. Mm. You're telling me that during your recent trip to the UK, George Bowie at Newmarket actually dangled a carrot. He said, "Ashley, if you would like to come back to England, I'll guarantee you plenty of riding." Yeah, yeah. So yeah, when I when I finished um, riding that, I was back in Ireland. It was actually a, a horse sale, and um, I spoke to George on the phone and just sort of had a chat with him. And he said, "Look, you know, if you wanted to stay and you did want to come back to England, um, I've definitely got a spot for you here." He sort of, he's got so many horses now. He, you know, he's got nearly 150. He'll probably have more next season. You know, and he, mm. he's well over the 100 winner mark this year. Um, you know, he's likely going to take over sort of you know the big mantle there in, in English racing he's only a young guy lives and breathes the sport so you know he said um you know there's a spot for you here obviously he has Ryan Moore and Buick ride majority of the horses but you know he has runners and he and he, and he, he runs them a lot so um yeah it'd be it would be a good opportunity like yeah if it was four years ago I, I'd have snapped at it and and said yes straight away you know and, and wanted yeah. to do it straight away you know um but you know like it, New South Wales has been very good to me. Uh, it's sort of a hard thing to give up when you're so, the money's so good here, and um, you know racing in Australia on the whole is just thriving. So um, unfortunately, England racing's great, high quality horses, but um, you know prize money doesn't back it up. Um, so that that's sort of the, the factor of it, really. You know. Mm. Well, it's been a fantastic journey, Ashley, champion New South Wales jockey in just your fourth season in Australia. What do you plan to do as an encore? Uh, yeah, well, you know, obviously, but, yeah, that was, I feel like it was a really good platform for me last season. You know, probably the last two, but definitely last season. And, um, you know, whether I want to do that every year, um, travelling the state, you know, continuously every day, probably isn't something I want to do. I sort of want to try and get to the as high a level as I can. And I feel like, 
you know um i just have to focus on certain areas more more than others you know um i think to be at my best you know you ride a thousand horses in a season it's, it's very difficult to be a hundred percent for every single horse you know um mm. so i'm just you know i'd love to be able to get the opportunity to get more match for rise and, and and try and make a claim there you know um i ride light enough that i could have them opportunities at sort of the bottom end of the scales you know mm. um so yeah that that's the plan is just to really really rather than volume when it's just really right and get a, a quality of winning now from now on in you know and mm. and that that's that's the that's the that's the goal at the minute you know the long-term goal right now mm. well it's a case of you came you saw you conquered you've made amazing inroads in just a bit under four seasons in Australia and a championship belt around your waist already. The best days lie ahead, I'm sure. Thank you so much for being with us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. No, thanks, thanks, John. Thank you for having me on. It's been, been great to speak to you. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race and most importantly helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes.